When you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're called many things, one of them being a child of God. Uh, but sometimes the, the circumstances of life, the fears, the dilemmas, all of that can keep us from taking steps in our journey in growing as a disciple and as a child. You're also called a saint. And I was trying to think of as we introduced this new series called Awesome Faith. Uh, because faith indeed is awesome because we're living in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, to work and to do the work God has called us to according to his great work and his great purpose. And as the church, we are called to equip one another for such a task. But sometimes that task looks very difficult. Uh, I was in Chongqing much of last week, and uh, the campus that I serve on, uh, where the, the dorm, the apartments that the teachers we minister to are are at the top of what are called the Stairs of Doom. Why are they called Stairs of Doom? Because they're very steep, and there's 116 of them, that to get from point A to point B, you have to climb these stairs each time. But the only way to get to where you need to be is to take it one step at a time and to move up and move forward. It takes perseverance, it takes strength, and it takes commitment to continue to grow. The people we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks didn't necessarily know all that God had in store for them. But they obeyed and they followed, and God used them to move them in maturity through the process. Not all of you are in chair four. By the end of today, you'll know what that means. Some of you might just be getting started on your journey, but we, the church body, are in this together. And so I've asked Pastor Stan to introduce and to walk us through the journey of discipleship, the journey of maturity, the journey of growing together as children of God, no longer slaves to fear, but surrendered to what he might do as we follow him together. So I'm going to pray for Pastor Stan and turn it over to him. Lord, thank you for bringing us together for such a time as this. Would you anoint Pastor Stan as you speak mightily through your word and open it up to us uh, through Pastor Stan this morning. Amen. Well, this morning we want to look at Andrew. Andrew's one of the 12 disciples. Have you heard of, you've heard of him, I hope? You're going to find out as we read our scripture that his name isn't even mentioned. He's one of the they, the crowd that are there. But this morning, you're going to meet Andrew and see what happened to him. You see, he started out, he was working in the family business. You know what the business was? Fishing. Do you know who his more famous brother is? Peter. You all know about Peter. Peter was always willing to say something, whether it made sense or not, whether he was going to put his foot in his mouth. You know of Peter, but do you know Andrew? I want you to see this guy who was just an ordinary fisherman. And I'll be compressing in about 15 minutes... I'll be compressing three years of his life from the time he met Jesus until Jesus went up to heaven. And so Andrew's going to tell us a story of how his life changed because he met Jesus. So we're going to find Andrew 
in Acts chapter 1. Remember, he's one of the they. He's one of the crowd. He's not really mentioned here. I was reading this as I was doing my uh, devotions for Easter, tracking with what's going on. This part of Scripture would happen about six weeks after Easter, so if you go by the calendar, it's still a few weeks away, but it actually happened 2,000 years ago. So Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, remember, Andrew's one of the they, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set up by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after He, Jesus, said this, He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Yeah, we were looking intently up into the heavens. Jesus was taken from us. He was there talking with us and then the next minute up into the clouds. Intently. That's the word that Luke used to describe how we were looking. How would you be looking if the one that you'd spent three years with all of a sudden went up through the clouds into heaven? You see, we'd been looking for the Messiah for over a thousand years. We knew we'd found Him. We'd gotten to know Jesus. But some of us were wanting Him to overthrow the Roman government. And now He's gone. Sure, He came back to life after they killed Him. But He's gone. And did you hear what He said to us just before He left? He said, we're to be His witnesses in Jerusalem. That's that's the city that we're in right now. And then Judea, that would be the, the, the greater province around us. And then just to the north is Samaria. And now to the ends of the earth. Where in the world are the ends of the earth? I mean, God's people, we've been slaves. We've been slaves to the south in Egypt. We've gone off to Babylon and been in captivity. The Roman Empire 
is out there. Jesus had never been to these places. And now He's telling us to take the good news to the ends of the earth? Yeah. We were looking pretty intently up into heaven. How were we to do this? How were we to take the message to the whole world? You know, there's something about that word intently. To have intention, to do with great determination. And we were looking intently, but then it hit me. I remember Jesus did His ministry intently. With great determination. He didn't do things by accident. Yeah, sure, we walked around throughout the country of Israel. We walked up and down hills. We walked across valleys. We walked across rivers. Peter even walked on water. What were we to do? I think that's the answer. Do what Jesus did and do it with intention. Let me tell you my story. You see, not a whole lot of people know a lot about me. I'm one of the disciples. They were the close disciples, and I was the fourth one of those close disciples, and I usually only count three. Peter, my brother, is more famous. But the one thing that I'm famous for is I was the first disciple that Jesus called. Let me tell you how it happened. You see, we had gone and we were listening to this guy named John the Baptizer. He was out there baptizing people. He was a cousin of Jesus. But he was out there asking people to follow God. And then one day, see, we had heard about Jesus... And then one day, Jesus comes where John is baptizing. I'd heard about this Jesus. I was curious. I wanted to know who he was. Jesus comes, and I just blurted it right out. I just said, where are you staying? Just a simple little statement. Where are you staying? I wanted to know more about this Jesus. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, come and see. He knew my curiosity. He knew that I had questions. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It was going to be dark in about two hours. And Jesus invited us to come and see where He was staying. We followed Him. We sat down for a while. And I think Jesus asked us more questions than we asked Him. But he was helping to clarify in my mind who he was. We all have questions. We don't know for sure who he is. So coming to him and asking him where he's staying, and he gives the invitation, come and see. What would you do if you had two hours with Jesus? Wouldn't that be exciting? Asking Him questions, hearing His answers, receiving His questions, probing us. 
I went from curious to convinced. I wasn't just curious as to who this guy is. I was convinced that he was Lord. And then the very next day, do you know what happened? It was just the next day. We're walking along the road, and Jesus sees me. He points me out. And he says, follow me. Come and follow. It was different than, you know, sometimes you ask directions. You don't know where someone lives, and so, you know, we'd get off our fishing boats, and I'd stop somebody along the shore, and I'd say, where's so-and-so's house? And he could just say, well, you go down this street, and you turn left, and you go down here, and you turn right. Or he might just say, follow me. That's not what Jesus meant. Jesus meant that I'm supposed to walk with him and start becoming exactly like him. Doing the things that he does. Renewing my mind. Being transformed into the way that God wants me to be. And so I could see that this whole thing was working in a way that Jesus intended intently for me to follow. Jesus was bringing me, one of His disciples, from the point where I just had questions about Him to the point that I was convinced that He is God. And so for the next six, seven, eight months, we walk around with Jesus. Do you know what happened? We got to see some pretty miraculous things. One day he goes to Cana. There's a wedding going on. And at this wedding, they ran out of wine. I don't know why they troubled Jesus about this, but he told them to get water. Just draw it right from the well. Fill up those containers. And then go and take it to the Lord of the feast. And he said, the wine's the best. Why did you save it till the end? You see, just walking with Jesus in situations like that, I could see that he was more than a teacher. He had real answers. He was truly the Son of God. And then there's the other time. You know Nicodemus? You've heard of him? He came to Jesus one night. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He followed all the laws and and all the Jewish traditions. And he came to Jesus one night, and he had questions for him. Now, what isn't recorded in the Bible is that the disciples were probably there with him. Yes, we were there with him, and we could hear some of these questions. And Jesus made it so plain, so understandable, so real. Except he used words like, you must be born again. Now, we're all familiar with birth. We realize that we have all been born. But Jesus used this common example, this thing that we've all been through, to say, your dead spirit, your spirit that is separated from God, needs to be born again. 
And so I see that Jesus is doing all kinds of incredible things that I know that He is the Messiah, the One who's come. Now to this point, I just watched. I could see what Jesus was doing, but it almost seemed like another one of those intently moments was about ready to happen. Because Jesus wasn't going to leave me just walking around with Him and seeing what He was doing. I could just tell another one of those invitations was going to be coming. How would He do it this time? What would He say? How would He do it? Well, He used another one of those perplexing statements. He told me, what's my job? I'm a fisherman. I go out on the boats all the time. And Jesus says, I want you to start fishing for people. Wait a minute. (laughs) We use boats. We use nets. I'm supposed to start catching people? Well, I could tell that it was more than that. Jesus wanted us to do more than just get people caught in nets. That's certainly not what he meant. Sort of like born again. And Jesus created another one of those opportunities. He had us all curious. All 12 of us were listening to his every word. He invited us to come up on the hillside. I thought this was going to be the magic time. See, Jesus sat down on the hillside and the 12 of us gathered around. We all had that chance to, to listen and, and we thought it was going to be a special time when Jesus taught us all these secrets. How we could fish for people. But then it started happening. You see, we're all listening and then some people start coming. 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 They're all gathering around. We thought we had a special time with Jesus. He was going to teach us how to do ministry. And people came and got in the way. There ended up being 5,000 of them. At least that's what the records say. But, you know, they only counted the men. And I can tell you, there were a lot of women and children there too. There were over 5,000 people listening in to Jesus. At first I was disappointed. Because we weren't going to get that special time with him. But then Jesus did it again. Do you see what he did? He was taking it just from something to speak to my head to something that would grab my heart and get me involved in ministry. Jesus talked long enough, the people were getting hungry, and Jesus leaned over to us and he said, Where are we going to get food for all these people? Well, Andrew, I'm kind of an organizer. I went out to see what was going on. So I went. Can you imagine 5,000 people coming out of the town, gathering around on the hillside, and nobody brought any food? Somebody had to have something. I found it. One boy, five loaves, two fish. That's not going to do it. 
But I learned the lesson of faith at that time of bringing the things that God has, that, that, that God's allowed me to, to experience, and bringing them to him. And Jesus said, okay, go out and have everybody sit down. And he starts breaking the bread, multiplying the fish. 5,000 unexpected guests for lunch. And they're all fed. Jesus had enough. But as he started breaking it, he had us, the disciples, get involved in ministry. We had to carry the food out to all the people. Now, when there's 5,000 people, they're not all seated real close. And do you know how much food weighs to take to all those people? A big, heavy basket of fish, and we're taking it out And we have to climb over this rock or around this cliff into this group of people and give it to them. I found out ministry's hard. It's work. I was tired that day. I thought I was just going to sit with Jesus on the hillside. And suddenly there were people who needed ministered to. They had some very real needs. And Jesus let me do ministry. Plus, I got to see a lot about Jesus. He can multiply. He can do what I can't do. If I just bring my faith to Him, He can do it. You know, I was getting kind of comfortable by that time. We were walking around with Jesus, listening to Him, watching Him teach. We're kind of getting into the groove. And it almost seemed like that intently thing was going to happen again. Jesus was going to move me one step more. I'd gotten comfortable. And Jesus challenged me at that time. He said, I want you to bear fruit. Bear much fruit. Fruit that will last. You see, I had learned what my gifts were. I had learned what my abilities are. I had learned how God wanted to use me. And now God was saying, skillfully use the things that I've given you and multiply ministry so that people here, there, everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I think we know what God's trying to do. Jesus was moving me from the point of just being curious about who He is to being convinced that He is God to getting involved and finding out how I can serve Him. And now He's sending me out so that I can multiply what He's doing around the world. It happened intently. Intently, the way that God wanted it to happen. And so that's my story for you. That's what Jesus did during these years in my life. And I hope that you can learn them. And you can take these steps where God wants you to go.
So I want to come down, we'll leave Andrew up on the stage, and just talk to you for a minute. This word intently captured me a few weeks ago. It's kind of interesting how God does this. I think God was intently doing something in me because he captured me with this as I was reading through the Easter messages and and in my own devotions. Pastor Mike asked me if I wanted to share and, and talk about this. And I saw that this one word intently focused on what God wants to do in our lives. You see, one of the things that we don't capture as we're reading through the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who's the main character in those books? Jesus, okay? One of the things that we don't capture in there is the chronology and the timeline of what's going on. By the time you get to Mark chapter 8, there's 16 chapters in Mark, so you're halfway through, Jesus is coming up on the last on, on the on the a week before his crucifixion you get to john chapter 15 halfway through the book and your jesus is doing the the high priestly prayer he's he's praying he's doing things just before the crucifixion the bible intentionally the gospels intentionally concentrate a lot of the material that they have on that last week of jesus's life And somehow we think that all of that happened, you know, spread out evenly over three and a half years. You can time things if you if you're a a scholar here, you can look at these things. And I've, I've used some help on that. The Jews had feasts on a regular schedule. Annually, they would have different feasts. And so if you line up the feast, you can get a chronology of what Jesus did. And what we find by looking at Jesus' life, is we find how he timed things with his disciples. And if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we can look at the very things that Jesus did with his disciples. Very early in his ministry, towards the beginning, he said, come and see. Come and see who I am. We all are curious We can have questions about God, and so we can come and see, or we can invite friends to come and see. And it didn't take too long. In this case, it was really the next day. It didn't take too long until the disciples were invited to follow Jesus. They still had to learn a lot about who he was. And so it was seven or eight months later that they're following Jesus, and they're learning the basics about who God is. Have you done that? If you've taken the step to know who Jesus is, have you intentionally taken steps to learn about God? There's things that you can learn as a new believer in Jesus Christ. And as you learn those things, your faith grows, you learn more, and God is then ready to take you on the next steps of sending you out to fish for people. You can get involved in ministry. It might be here in Hong Kong. It might be north of the border. It might be anywhere. It might be with your neighbors. It might be with your family. Um, But God will get you involved in ministry, as he says, fish for people. And as you become adept at that, you learn the gifts that God's given you. You learn the abilities that you have. Jesus then says, bear 
much fruit. We want to multiply the ministry. Go from addition to multiplication. And that's what God calls us to. Now, these things really form the basis of what we've been calling the four chairs four chair discipleship. I didn't get the chairs out. I didn't want to uh, to have them on the stage and trip over them. But the four chairs is what the author Dan Spader calls them. They're four challenges. See, what Jesus calls us to is to sit in the first chair and don't stay there. Move to the next chair. Move to the third chair. Move to the fourth chair. And there's responsibilities that you have in each and there are things that you can learn in each chair. If you know what chair you're in, it will help you identify the things to learn and the things to be doing. And so we're going to be talking about each of these four chairs, but we're going to find some people in the Bible that we think were seated in one of them. First one, the second one, the third one. We'll start in order with them um, next week and uh, describe um, what's going on in their life at this time. And Andrew moved through all four chairs during the three and a half years of his life. That's what I tried to demonstrate for you. What I hope happens to you is that you will identify where you are. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm in chair one, but I want to move to chair two, or I'm in chair two, and I want to move to chair three. If you know where you are, let God work in your life to take you one step further. He will do it intently. For us, it'll seem like a day at a time where we just follow this step and this step and this step a little bit at a time as God takes us to where He wants us to be. So I want to pray and invite the, uh, the worship team to come back. And Lord, I thank You for who You are. Lord, I thank You for what You've done in our lives. You give us the examples. You walk the walk here on earth. And Lord, we can see what You're doing. Help us to join in what You're doing. May we be challenged to not only be a disciple, but to make disciples. And we thank You for what You're doing here in this church. We thank You for the lives that are changed. Lord, we thank You that we could light the candle because someone moved from chair one to chair two. And Lord, we pray that these people in China who have been challenged by Your Word as, as King and others have gone, that they can move from being curious to being convinced from chair one to chair two. Lord, work in our hearts. If we're in chair two, may we gain a deep understanding of who You are. Get into Your Word. Have a prayer life. Spend time with You. And then, Lord, involve us in ministry. If it's handing out the bread and the fish or if it's teaching this class or doing that, May we be faithful in what you've called us to. And I thank you now and pray for your blessings on us as we walk through these steps as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us as we sing our last song for today. Let